<laughs> Turn in your Bibles, uh, Psalm, Psalms chapter 134. Psalms chapter 134. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be really, really, really helpful for you to have a Bible, uh, especially if you have a whole written Bible in front of you. Uh, that's going to be helpful. Of course, you can use your phone. Uh, a lot of the verses I'm going to have today, you're going to want to look down onto your Bible rather than up on the screen. In fact, I won't have most of them on the screen today, so you'll want to have your whole Bible out. So if you you have a phone or something like that where you can download the app, now would be the time to do that. Uh, and actually, if you get the uh, version app, you, my notes are going to be located there. It would be really, really helpful to ha- for you to have the entire uh, spread of the Psalms of Ascent uh, out, out in front of you. So um, anyway, have you ever been into a situation where uh, you have no idea what's happening inside of the conversation? And you're just there, kind of as a wallflower, listening to a couple of people have a conversation that you really have no idea what they're talking about. And the conversation is way over your head completely. Or you're just thinking you're trying to figure out what they're talking about, and it's, it's just, it's not applicable to you. And you're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. I really don't care to know what you're talking about. What, whatever outcome that you're going to gonna come up with, I really don't care how that works. But, but you feel yourself for social, for social reasons, you're just going to kind of nod along and act like you know what's happening. Uh, and, and that happens to me. And it's happened a lot lately inside of this new building because we've had a lot of technical aspects of what's happening. And so all these sound, tech, video, audio guys, they have this conversation about wiring and computers and how everything works. And, and I jump in on those conversations as if I know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and I'm kind of nodding along, absolutely, and I'll say some words like ethereal or whatever and, and just try to connect with these people. But ultimately, I, they're speaking Klingon to me. Like, I really don't know exactly what's happening in, in the middle of the conversation because I'm just like, you know what? It uh, does not apply to me. I don't know how, how this is happening. And I think many of us, uh, we come to the Bible in that same way. We come and we maybe read the Bible and we think, I don't know what's going on here. And I don't know if this applies to me. I don't get it. Like the language is confusing. They're using strange language. The culture is a little bit weird. And so what we want to do when we come to the Bible and we come to places where we really don't understand and we just want to check that box that says does not apply because I don't know what's happening inside of this. And we do this a lot with the Psalms. Okay, when we come to the middle of the Bible in this huge book of poetry that are a bunch of songs that used to probably have a melody, but now they don't. We, that's been lost, but we have the words. So we, but we, we're, we're, we come to that because a lot of us are very uncomfortable with poetry. Like that's, that's artistry, especially guys, dudes. We, we're just, a lot of us are not into the poetry. It's not like we don't look up song lyrics and try to memorize them. And like it, we're, not, we're not thinking about that. The artistry stuff, it kind of flies over our head. Like if we were to go to a museum of modern art, we're looking at these pieces thinking, I, I, I don't know. I, like, and, and they're like, don't you see the artist bent towards this beautiful picture? I'm like, no, I see a blue tree and a bucket of worms. I, I, I don't see what you see. Like, I'm not seeing this. And we come to the Psalms kind of like that and say, I don't get it. 
But the artsy folks are like, oh, that's, it's beautiful language and it flows and there's design. And this stuff is really important. While the rest of us are like, I like the narratives. I like the stories or I like the letters or the philosophy of scripture. The poetry kind of goes over my head. And what I like to do is just kind of check the box that says, does not apply. I don't get it. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. Now, in other, in other news, we come to church sometimes into this room And we're looking around, and we have the same kind of similar thoughts. I'm not really sure that this environment applies to me. I don't, these people are kind of strange. They're kind of weird. They smell fine, but they're kind of strange, right? And I'm coming into a room, and then the music starts, and I'm told to stand up. Normally when you go to a concert, you just sit down and listen. No, I'm told to stand up, and then I'm invited to sing along. That never happens during the week. Like, you've ever gone to an office meeting and be like, okay, we're all going to stand up, we're going to sing together. That doesn't happen, right? So this is the only really time, unless you go to a concert, but even then, like, you're coming into this environment and be like, I've never heard those songs. They're not on the radio. Like, I don't know those songs. I don't know the words of those songs. I don't know the melody of those songs. And you're asking me to sing along. And there's this lady right next to me who starts swaying and closing her eyes and tears are coming out. And all of a sudden, she has a question, right? <laughs> right? And they just got two questions. And we're just, what what, what are we we doing? And then after that's over, some guy stands up and starts talking for 45 minutes and there's no commercials, right? He doesn't give me a break and I'm sitting in a metal chair getting my out. Like, so just trying to figure out this whole situation. I don't know how this works. And all we want to do when we come into this environment is, does not apply. I don't get it. I'm missing something. I'm missing how all of this works. But we get really confused because people tell us that church is important. That when I, there's people that you've heard that have this relationship with God, and it's different for them. They see the beauty, they read the Psalms, and they see the beauty of the poetry. It's life giving to them. They come into worship, they, go, they love going to worship on Sundays. It's restoring for them, it's beautiful for them. They need to come. It's part of their normal, it's part of their normal life-giving activity. And so we leave this place confused because we're thinking this does not apply when really there's, there's just a lot of people that really do get it. And I'm kind of wondering, what am I missing? Is it possible that these songs, these poems that are written down in Scripture from a long time ago, can they inform the way that we worship now? Is there something that I'm missing in Scripture that is going to inform the way that I worship today? Is it possible that the Psalms could help me? And so we've, we've been walking through, and this is the final sermon, we've been walking through this section of the Psalms, and you guys saw it on the video, where there's a small section of the, song, the Psalms called uh, Songs of Ascents, in which these are a small collection of about 14 Psalms that the Israelites would sing on their way up to Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was geographically on a mountain. And so all the people who lived in the valleys and below, all the Jewish little villages, they would come on holidays, different Jewish holidays, and they would ascend the mountain to Jerusalem to worship at the temple with the entire nation. And there would be these songs that they would sing on their way up. So that's what they're called, the Psalms of Ascent. And so... Um, 
And, and so these are similar to, as you know, it's, it's probably already, who's, who's already listening to Christmas music? Go ahead and admit it. You're already listening to Christmas music. Okay. The, this, what, are, what are Christmas songs for? We sing them to prepare ourselves for the Christmas season. We're reminding ourselves of what Christmas is all about. It's not about reindeer. It's about Jesus, right? Okay, just, we'll get there next month. Okay, so it's about Jesus, right? And these songs help us remember and get our heart prepared for the day in which generosity overflows and we remember the birth of our Savior, right? That's the purpose of Christmas songs, right? And so they would sing these songs of ascent to remind themselves about how, what God has done for them in the past and why they were coming to celebrate. So we come to the last one, Psalm 134, and lucky for you, it's super short. It's only three verses, okay? Uh, three verses, uh, Psalm 134. Here we go. <clears throat> if you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome, good job. All right. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, which is another word for Jerusalem, he who made heaven and earth. Now, we're going to dig into this psalm just a little bit deeper, a little bit later, okay? Just, just hang on to that. Uh, but I want you to notice just two quick things off the bat, okay? Two quick things off the bat. Number one, they're raising their hands. So there's a command in Scripture to raise your hands. I know I made fun of that a little earlier, but there's a command in Scripture to raise your hands. Also, right here, do you see the exclamation points? There is a sense of shouting, of celebration, that they're shouting praises up to God. So this psalm is a conclusion of the Psalms of Ascents that is going to lead us towards worship, and it's about worship, and that's where many of us check out. Because we hit the do not, it does not apply button because you lost me. Uh, um, I don't, those two things that you talked about, the shouting, the hand raising, I don't do that. I like, you know, I'm like a middle school dancer. Like I just hang out in my little zone, right? I, I, I don't do that. So, you know, don't make me do that. Don't invite me to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to watch it all happen. I'm an observer. I like to just observe whatever. You know, don't make me do anything weird. I believe, how, I believe, though, that if we just read Psalm 134, and why I want you to watch the video, it's because the whole entire Psalms of Ascent is, is written by design. They're put in this, this order of, of, of Psalms because it's all by design, and worship is the, it's the one at the very end because it is the conclusion. It's the result of all the rest of the Psalms of Ascent. And so we have to understand the, the whole design of the Psalms of Ascent to really even get there, to prepare ourselves for what's happening in 134. And what I think what we'll see is this great progression. We're going to see a progression that perfectly tracks with the gospel. It perfectly tracks with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we believe as Christians, that is our salvation, and it perfectly tracks with it and makes its way, as, and, and makes its way all the way and results in worship. And I want to show it to you, okay? 
So if, you're, if you got your Bible, Psalm 120, okay? Psalm 120. So just turn a page back on the screen. I'm going to give you these headings about what we're going to start in Psalm 120. And I believe that every single one of these Psalms has a specific heading that's headed in a direction. So the first Psalm that we see in Psalm 120, I'm going to read the first two verses. It says this, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. So the first Psalm of Ascents is very different than the last Psalm of Ascents. The first psalm is, I'm distressed. I'm in despair. I have lying lips and a deceitful tongue. I'm in despair. I'm a wretched man. That's where the psalms of ascent start. So the first thing in Psalm 120 is this idea of distress. Is that not where we start before we meet Jesus? In a place where our heart is in complete distress and chaos where peace is not found. But then in 121, it quickly changes. In 121, it says this in the first two verses. I lift up my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So right there, we go from distress immediately to awakening. There's some, I've, I've, I now know something. Where does my help come from? I need help. I'm in desperate need of help, and my help is going to come from somewhere else. It's not going to come from me. It's not going to be coming from me pulling myself up from my bootstraps. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, not myself, not anybody else, not this world, not money, not anything else, but the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. So there's an immediate awakening right after distress. The third thing, 122. So we move to 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So immediately we have some direction. We have some direction. So distress, then there's an awakening. There's a moment of, 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 of I, I, something needs to happen. And, and right then we have direction. We know where we're going. 123, as soon as we know where we're going and we get to where we're going, which these people were headed to the temple, the place where God resided, where the presence of the Lord was. And in 123, as soon as they get there, we read this. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. So as soon as they, they have this direction and they head towards the temple and they get there, and what happens? Conviction. As soon as they come into the presence of the Lord, there is a realization of their sin. As soon as they come to know the Lord, they know that they're sinful. Isaiah says this in his book, that as soon as I saw the holy of holies, I was immediately met with my own sin. And when we come to a place where we get face to face with God, we're not proud, we're sinful. And that's the place where we all get, where God wants us to get, because the next thing is this in 124, rescue. We have escaped. You see how we go? We, we go from 123 of conviction. He doesn't make us wait longer. And so here's, get this. It doesn't take long. It's not like, okay, you know, there's, there's conviction and then there's penance. Notice that. It's not conviction and then work really hard for a long time. It's not conviction and then, you know, keep on trying, keep on trying, keep trying to get the Lord to love you. That's not how it works. In 123, it's conviction. 124, it's immediate rescue. He has, uh, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. 
Our help, where? Is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Immediately, the next psalm after conviction is this rescue. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. What happens in 125? After we have been rescued, what happens? In verse 2 of 125, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from, the time, from this time forth and forevermore. How long does the Lord keep you? Forever. As soon as he rescues you, there is no way for you to get out of his hand. He protects you. So 125 is about protection. He rescues you. He protects you. And the next thing, 126 says this. Then our, this verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Where did we start in 120? We started in distress. And now we have come through conviction and rescue and protection and we find ourselves in a place of complete laughter and joy. Is this not the story of the gospel? 127, we have a future. Verse three, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the future, I'm sorry, the fruit of the womb of a reward. We begin thinking of the freedom that we have. We can now pass that on to our children, disciple our own children because we've been protected by the Lord. We can now, we can now enjoy the fruits of our labor. Uh, 128, prosperity. Verse 2, you shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be w- well with you. Things go well for people who are free, who are convicted and rescued and given protection and joy, things begin to go well for them and they get to eat, the, they get to eat of the fruit of their hands. And in 129, this is a great one. Greatly have, I, have they afflicted me from my youth. Now this one's a little bit confusing, but I think you'll make, it'll make sense in a second. This is verse two. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Now I want you to get this. So we have this idea of joy and, 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 and protection and prosperity. And then we get to this place in, in, in Psalm 129 where things kind of go downhill for a second and we're reminded of our past sin. Do, is, it, is it entirely possible, Christian, that you came to know the Lord and you came to know his forgiveness, but yet some of the addictions of your past still haunt you. And so there is a moment of sanctification. Now that's a big word. It's a big biblical word that simply means that we are growing closer to become more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. So we're justified between God and then we're sanctified to become more holy like Jesus. And so what does he say in verse four? The Lord is righteous and he has cut the cords. He has cut the cords of the wicked. He has cut your addiction. He has cut it off at its source. And now we become more like Jesus as we walk with him. 130, patience. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. So as we, as we get to know the Lord greater and we grow to know the Lord better, we, we are waiting on the Lord. We're patient for him. We're no longer anxious. We no longer worry about what the world tells us. We, we no longer have to just like go, 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 go and produce and produce and produce. And let's, let's hope and hope and hope and hope that we can get better our ourselves. No, it's waiting. It's patience. I'm going to wait for the Lord to move and I'm going to follow after him. The next one I love, chapter 31. The theme of it is rest. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. 
like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, my soul is within me. I have quieted myself. In the chaos of life, I am now at rest because I'm protected and rescued. In 132, I preached about this a couple weeks ago. Um, the first couple of verses of this. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. We see here recommitment. Is it not true, Christian, that as you walk with the Lord, that there is a regular, daily, weekly, whatever you want to do, a regular recommitment to the Lord? That yes, you had a moment at some point in your life where you received the forgiveness of Jesus, but our walk with Christ, is a, as we stumble and fall, we regularly recommit ourselves. And that's what 132 is all about. This regular committing to the Lord. These are the promises that I have, that I have given to you. And, these, and if you read through the rest of it, it's the longest one. Uh, but if you read through the rest of it, it's the promises of the Lord that he has given to us. 133, Pastor David preached about this. Unity, behold how good and pleasant it is is when brothers dwell in unity that speaks of the church. How we, if we're rescued and protected and given joy and all of these things, what is, the out, what is the outcome of that? It's unity. And then we find in 134, finally, the theme of worship. Come bless the Lord, all the servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. That's the entire design. So I want you to notice a couple things about 134. The first thing is this, if you're taking notes. Worship in 134, it's expectant. These people are coming expectantly. Verse 1, they stand by night in the house of the Lord. They are ready and expectant for the Lord to do something. The servants of the Lord are desiring for the Lord to move. They're wanting, they're longing for him to move. And this is exactly how we should come into worship. How we should come and be expecting, God, do something. Move in my heart. Challenge me. I should, be, I should be expectant that God will encourage. I should be expectant that God's going to convict, that God's going to challenge, that God's going to call us out. I fully expect every single worship, every single worship time that there is going to be conviction and that those who need to be encouraged will be encouraged. And that those who need to be called out, out of their comfort zone to go serve the Lord, that they will be called to do so. Worship is a place where we come expectant of the Lord to do something, not just simply check a box. And the second thing, this whole idea of raising your hands and shouting, worship is undignified surrender. Worship is undignified surrender. Their hands are raised out of humility. This is the universal sign of surrender. Everybody knows what this means. It means that I've got nothing. You have overpowered me. You are greater than I am. You have done great things and I have done little things. I need you now to protect me. I cannot do it on my own. You are greater than I. I am subject to you and your will. If you're wondering why people stand in this place and worship and they raise their hands, they are simply saying, God, you are greater than I am. You are bigger than I am. And I surrender all of me to all of you. That's what they're doing. 
And so if you've ever felt uncomfortable about that, I can't raise my hands. I can't do that. What do people think of me? What's the reason why people do that? They raise their hands because they are saying, there's nothing left of me that I need. We just sang that Christ is enough. Christ is enough. That's all I need. So if we wonder why the people in the room are raising their hands, it's a universal sign of surrender. I think that this psalm falls perfect in its order within the Psalms of Ascent. Because there's this progression, as you've seen, from despair, from distress, to confused. Where does my help come from? And it's this perfect depiction of the entire gospel. That we as sinful man desperately needed something to happen, that we could not fix this world on our own. And so we called out, and there is an awakening, and that awakening is when Jesus draws us to himself, that we hear the name of Jesus, and we hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to live amongst us a human life, and he was still God, and lived innocently the entire time. And then he was convicted innocently of sin. And then put on a Roman cross and crucified and died for you and I. He died in our place for our sin. That in itself produces the rescue that we need. He took our spot so that we, as that psalm says, might be able to fly away in complete freedom. So we then, we, after that rescue in Psalm 124, we see the Lord's eternal protection in 125. Jesus says, I'm going to keep you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Finding joy and a future in Christ in Psalm 126 and 127. Prosperity, sanctification, rest, recommitment, unity. And after all of that comes worship. And believers raising their hands humbly. And this is the critical error that we make as a church. Remember when I said that sometimes I come into these tech conversations and they're speaking a different language that I simply don't understand? I don't have any of the background that these guys do. I don't have any of the education that they do. I don't have any of the awakening. I don't have any of the enlightenment. I'm just coming in on the end of the conversation and trying to understand what's happening and I don't get it. And so I have to check out. I don't, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. If we come into worship on Sunday, and that's the only moment that we've had all week with the Lord, we look around and we look at these people, and we're looking at these people who are feeling convicted and they're encouraged, and there's something in their life that there's something in their life where they have joy and my life is chaos. They they have peace and my life is anxious. For some odd reason, they're joyful and I'm hateful. Why is that? Why am I so angry and they're not? But we're all in the same place. Yet I believe that it's possible that they've had moments throughout the week where they've had rest, patience, protection, where they've had moments of distress and they've gone to rescue. And they've had moments of recommitment. We can't just simply just come into this place and expect to know what's going on. Because what's going to happen is we're going to check that box that says, 
That's just not applicable to me. I don't get it. See, worship is the end product. Now, what do you do about that? That's a good question. So, I mean, if you could put up that full screen of all, the, of all that process, that would be helpful. Thank you. Look at this for just a second and think through, where are you? Is there a need up here that you desperately need? Are you at a place where you're just up at the top left, distressed, frustrated, anxious, angry? You don't know where your help is going to come from. It's a good idea to start there. Maybe you need to go to those Psalms 120, 121 and have an awakening with the Lord and just get alone with the Lord and say, God, I need rescue. And what he's going to do is he's going to convict you of sin in your life. And the greatest thing about conviction is he immediately has already taken care of it if you just confess it. And then we simply come, and as, soon as, as soon as we have conviction, we then have rescue. And then we can work ourselves through. Where do you need the Lord? Patience, rest. Some of you are exhausted. I can't come to worship, I'm just too tired. I'm going to sleep in, I'm just too tired. Well, it's very possible that you're not worshiping this morning because you're exhausted and you need the Lord's rest. Where are you here? Pick one. And begin to pray about it and think through, what does it mean for me to put this into place in my life? How far do I need to back up on this track? I want to give you a moment to think through it. And it's very possible that there might be some in this room. I've talked to Christians a lot here today. But let me speak to you if you're not a believer. If you're not a Christian, you've never called yourself that. Or maybe you haven't really done anything with the Lord in a very, very long time. It's entirely possible that you can't ever raise your hands to the Lord because you've never actually surrendered to him. And so I want to invite you to that. I believe that God can rescue you out of all of your pain and hurt, out of all of your sin, and you can have that eternal protection that God will never let you go, and you can always know that you will be, that you will eternally, and your soul will be eternally with God in heaven, worshiping him with all that you got. And so I want to invite you to a relationship with Jesus if that's you. And I'll stand right over there when this is, when the sermon is done. I would love to talk to you about how you can pray through and, and confess sin and have that same freedom and patience and rest and protection that many in this room already have. We're going to move here in a second um, to a time where we, we call this communion or the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, whatever. There's many, there's several terms for it. Um, and what you see on the side of the stage here is little cups of uh, juice and, uh, and little pieces of bread. And what that symbolizes is uh, Christ's body and then Christ's blood. The night before Jesus was to be crucified, he took his disciples and gathered them together uh, for Passover meal, which is a very symbolic meal where every piece of the meal had a, a certain symbol that was a, that was a part of that meal. He added these two, telling them that his body was about to be broken and his blood was about to be shed. Later on in the New Testament, it tells us that we should continue in, this, in on these symbols, that we should regularly take of the bread and the, and, the, and the wine or the juice to remember what Christ has done. In Luke 22, it says this. You don't have to turn there, just listen. 
It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. This, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so there's a couple responses. I would hope that you would look at that list that I had up on the screen. I, I hope that you would look at that and say, There is something that I desperately need. And I need to have a moment with God and say, God, I need patience. God, I'm in distress. And I need rescue. God, I'm convicted of sin. And I need you to forgive me. All of that will end in worship. That's the result of all of this. So if you're wondering why you can't worship, it's probably because there's something before that that needs to happen with you and the Lord. And so, at your whenever you feel that you're ready, you can come up and take a cup and a piece of bread and I would hope that you take it back to your seat and have a moment of prayer with the Lord. You you would confess sin. That you would desire as you bite down on the bread that you would know that your sin breaks his body. That you drink the wine. That you would know know that this this is a symbol of Christ's blood that was shed for you. And then after that is all over, you have been forgiven. You stand and you sing. And I invite you, fully surrender to the Lord. Come to a place where you know that you've been forgiven and free. If you want to talk to me and if you want to pray with me, I would love to do that. I'll be standing right over there. I'd love to pray with you and think through these things with you. Take a moment now and pray. And when you're ready, come on up and grab the elements and have a moment with the Lord.
come to pass My heart will sing your praise again Jesus, you're still enough Keep me within your love My heart will sing your praise again The promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness This is my confidence, you never fail me. The promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence, you never Yeah. 